so hear the roar of the bridge. You can hear the roar of the bridge. And I was going to say, Kirsty, we're at the scene of the crime. <laughs> yeah, it's really, most of us didn't know it was a crime. On the 62nd birthday of the Auckland Harbour Bridge, thousands of fed-up cyclists have stormed across it. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and today on The Detail... Frustrated by the lack of a cycle crossing, they acted, in their words, to liberate the lane! And not just the one lane either, they broke through the police cordon. Hold the line! Hold the line! Hold the line! Cycle protests and bike lash. Hundreds of them. Like, they weren't just little family groups out, they were... Well, what seemed like thousands of the hooers coming from everywhere. Just hold it there. You're across. You're across. Just hold it. If you've seen the mice in Australia, you know, the hordes of mice sweeping through the farms, if you can imagine mice in lycra and on bikes, that's what they looked like. That's News Talk ZB's Kerry McIver there being angry in a funny way about the Auckland Harbour Bridge protest last Sunday. But the backlash can be much nastier. Just really dehumanising, violent language. Kirsty Wilde is a passionate cyclist and expert on bike lanes. Yeah, some of the bike lash, I guess, or just backlash, it's kind of hard for people to process. Yeah don't feel as safe out on their bikes when you've got stuff on social media calling you, you know, a cockroach or a lice or people saying that's what bull bars are for. People should be hitting cyclists with their cars, especially when you're already scared about getting run over. You know, I've had lots of personal abuse from people ringing me, threatening that they're going to get me sacked. Because I study bike crash... I know that it's almost universal. Like when you have a big bike project, like I've, I've lost count of the number of public leaders who say that they've had death threats. You know, even the Netherlands, where that's pretty cycle-friendly, one bike planner saying that um, he's gone on to work in lots of sensitive government posts, but trying to roll out a bike plan was the, was the only time he'd needed police protection. <laughs> Wilde's an environmental sociologist at Auckland University and for the last five years she's been looking at healthy, sustainable transport transitions. She's also done a lot of research into bike lash or negativity against cyclists. Today we're right next to Auckland Harbour Bridge where she and her young son joined hundreds of others for the protest. The Liberate the Lane group held a rally at Point Erin Park calling for a three-month cycle lane trial on the Harbour Bridge. Yeah, so that was Bike Auckland. But Bike Auckland were really clear that, you know, this isn't a rally to go on the bridge. This is a rally to get together. Bike Auckland asked repeatedly Waka Kotahi for permission for a peaceful protest on a Sunday, weren't given it. Then Auckland Transport posts a confusing public notice saying they're going to close those lanes... And we all assumed that that meant, you know, we're basically going on an approved community ride. Really? There was uncertainty, but you see a notice saying they're closing it. um, You kind of assume that it's going to be okay. And then you're met with a police barricade there with your young child. This was the start of a big Sunday ride over the Harbour Bridge. 
and an unauthorised one. It just was a really confusing, unsafe situation for everyone, I think. I had no idea about the that there was a police barricade. I think it was really badly handled. Okay, so I don't think the police were expecting it. Um, those of us that were there weren't expecting it. Um, it's just not ideal, is it? No, it's not ideal. What do you think about the way it came across, though? There is absolutely no difference between these law-breaking, entitled, demanding gits and the law-breaking, entitled gits on motorbikes who take over the roads and the highways when they feel like it. Other than the fact that the motorcyclists actually pay to be on the road and the cyclists don't. With all the immature reasoning and rationale of four-year-olds, the cyclists took over the bridge because they want something. And they want it right now, this minute. And if they can't have it, well, then they're going to have a tantrum and everyone's going to pay. Is that part of the protest thing? Do you think it has, you know, if you want to get something done, this is what you have to do? I mean, you probably see images like that in, in lots of protests. It's just a, a fraction of, of the experience. It's a fraction of the issues there. As others have said, we have a tradition of peaceful protest in New Zealand. Do you have permission to ride it today? <laughs> There's a tradition of peaceful protest in New Zealand. This is part of that tradition. Of course, Liberate the Lane isn't the only cycle protest that's creating angry divides. A group of exasperated cyclists in Wellington have taken matters into their own hands in a bid, they say, to protect themselves on the road. They've put planter boxes along one of the city's main commuter thoroughfares, creating a de facto cycle lane. We're fed up with the council talking for years and years about improving cycling and doing so little. There's a whole lot of new cyclists out there on the road, um, people with kids on the back of their bikes... Um, and so I'm just really passionate to make sure that everyone can feel safe to ride, ride this road. So as a community, we're taking matters into our own hands and building a protected bike lane here in Berenpore. We can obviously spot that they are frustrated at uh, the speed at which we're moving, but the number of angry comments we've had, the number of complaints we've had today from people who... Uh, don't like what they see. No, I think it's quite irresponsible, to be honest. They should have had permission before to put anything on the public road. But it could be a danger to other people using the road. Even where there are cycleways, and this is my personal bugbear, a lot of cyclists still don't use them. They still cycle on the footpath, not the cycleway. It gives you an idea of the challenges that we have in, in terms of trying to install cycle lanes around the city. Financial columnist and scooter fan Bernard Hickey wrote this week that these are more than just minor local events. They are the harbinger of the debate of our age. Who should get to use our urban roads and motorways and for what? He even compares it to the culture clash over the Springbok tour protests 40 years ago this winter. He says it pits older and more conservative law and order types against progressive urban liberals, many of whom will be younger and poorer simply because they do not own property. I think that there is a generational divide in terms of people wanting to do things differently in cities, perhaps people wanting cities to be a bit more fairer, cities to be a bit more greener, and, and cycling's a big part of both of those things. It's a big part of doing something about climate change. We were also likely to see a similar generational split. Um, Was there a generational split? I mean, there were... 
Yeah, I, I, it's hard to know because there's lots of different groups that cycle. So sports cyclists are one group of cyclists and they are more likely to be men, more likely to be older, more likely to be wealthy. But then you get other groups of cyclists who are just people who ride for environmental reasons. You get other people like me who ride because it's just a good way to get exercise. You get other people who ride because they like that model of being able to be in a city where you can get around slowly and easily and cheaply and have that social contact. So there's actually quite a few different groups and, and, and we saw all of them at the protest. I think it will be a generational issue because younger people are most affected by things like housing inequality and are really getting pushed to have to live like with these terrible long commutes if they want to own a home and so they're more likely to say hey hang on what about we use things like a, a compact city model whereby we have more like high quality housing in the inner city and we can bike you know or walk rather than me having to you know be in a, a car for two and a half hours a day and live in Drury yeah. you know so they're, mo- they're more affected by those transport issues mm. um, and they're more affected by uh, a model of city planning that, that locks in car use. What about the argument though that, and, and look I was at boot camp this morning with my four boot camp friends, we happened to get into this discussion about biking on the bridge. I mean the anger over it, they're saying how dare these white privileged men in lycra how dare they think that they can do this that they can break a barrier that they can create so much disruption and think that it's okay to take a lane away from all these other commuters who need to get over the bridge for work and for school and that kind of thing yeah whereas i kind of think wow this could be an experience that we could actually open up to all Aucklanders and when I hear people say things like that, I just absolutely know that they'll be out there on that lane week two with their grandkids. On their bikes. Yeah, because <laughs> that's what happens everywhere. There's really quite negative perceptions of cyclists, as I say, because most people's experience are being in a car, um, trying to interact with them in situations where cyclists have got no space. And so it's really stressful when you're in a car. Um, because you're, yes, it slows you down, and we're, it's all, we've already got congestion, so that's annoying. But actually, you're also worried about hitting them. Um, we've got to a situation where it's seen, because cyclists are a real minority, that it's okay to project all your frustration and anger about congestion onto cyclists. Um, so people have really negative ideas about cyclists yeah. but really positive experiences of cycling I mean we'll see it absolutely yeah. you know a thousand dollars for the first photo of Lisa Prager or Mike Hosking or whoever out there on that bridge but do you see the other side of the argument there is so much pressure on that bridge already and by taking a lane away for cyclists it's it's just disproportionate it's not the solution. Well, the bridge isn't the bottleneck at the moment. It's, it's getting on and off the bridge, either side. And I think there's been so many studies now showing that if you 
reallocate a lane, if you switch it from a car lane to a bike or bus lane, it doesn't increase congestion. Because if you give people notice, they basically just change their routines. And we've already seen that now, right? Like lots of people fought uh, the northern busway and now 50% of people come across the bridge on a bus. Um, so it isn't the case that it makes congestion worse. And there's just so much research that shows that is the case, that to be honest, saying that a bike lane on the bridge will increase congestion at this stage is uh, frankly anti-science. Another interesting angle to this was um, some South Auckland leaders were saying if this kind of protest happened in South Auckland, and this, is, this links back to the, to the accusations that it was a bunch of uh, white middle class privileged people, um, that, and that if this protest happened in South Auckland, a lot more people would have been arrested. Police would have been much tougher. They would have cracked down much harder. With just one arrest, some see a double standard. When you're handling poorer people out south, you get treated one way by the police. And when you're managing people who are wealthy and in Lycra, you've got a completely different approach by, by the police. Which is sad to hear, isn't it? That any peaceful protest in New Zealand, that you are risking a police overreaction to a peaceful community march. Mm. Do you think there was police overreaction on Sunday? Overreaction? Mm. I think it was a really confusing situation for everyone. Would you do it yeah. again? Yeah, would you protest most... in that way again? Yeah. yeah. You would? Okay. I, would. It, do you... I don't know how we're going to get to 7% mode share of cycling to meet our climate targets without a link to the North Shore. It's unrealistic. So what are we doing? We can't wait 10 years for electric cars we hold on to our cars for about 12 years there's very little charging infrastructure even the city rail link is going to reduce emissions by one percent we've got a climate target of seven percent for cycling we can't do it without a link to the north shore the ferries are full 50 people got turned away last month trying to take their bike on the ferry uh, you know cycling yeah. is one of those issues that's first cab out of the rank on climate. Oh, this way, Sharon. Kirsty and I are off now on our bikes around Auckland's waterfront to look at the new cycle lane showpiece outside the ferry building. So people that ride their bikes, um, they tend to get more social contact as well, um, just because they see other people. Yeah. So they get more eye contact. Uh, so they feel like they know their community better um, and research shows that they like their community more, their neighbourhoods more and they, they feel safer in them. Right. Yeah, as a result. Alright, uh, we're on Key Street. Now Key Street is the waterfront road in Auckland, uh, downtown Auckland and it's, it's really, really busy. I mean right now it's commuter, it's peak commuting time now and we're we're seeing buses, queues of cars, lots of people walking, coming off the ferries. And right in front of us is a cycle lane. So Key Street is just a beautiful new piece of model cycleway, really. And it takes advantage of two things that are things that people really love and enjoy in cities. 
uh, trees, some amazing new native trees here, alongside a really wide, smooth, enjoyable, usable cycleway. And as you can see, lots of people cycling, lots of people using it. Also another project which... Uh, people were really negative about in the abstract. Were they? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, there was so much negative media stuff about when the actual construction was going on, the disruption. And that's the thing, people put those things together. Often what really annoys people is the disruption associated with actually building a cycleway. Uh, people have really negative associations with roadworks in general, not not surprisingly. And yeah. And often cycleways happen there's an opportunity to do them when you're doing a whole renewal of the road so we have to dig up our roads resurface them uh, deal with um, renewing like all the underground you know water electricity infrastructure every now and then and so for a while the idea was well maybe this is a good time to like expand the pedestrian space and cycleways at the same time but the downside of that was meant that you got these really big, expensive projects that were more than about cycling, but people could see, gosh, it takes a year and millions of dollars to create a cycleway. I'm here to report this morning that we were right all along about the cycleways. We said cycleways aren't the future, don't get used, cost a fortune, inconvenience the rest of us, i.e. those in cars. For those of us who are guided through life by common sense, I have a growing feeling we are starting to win the debate, and we are winning in this case through yet more evidence that so many of these decisions having nothing to do with reality but everything to do with ideology. And so the newest bit of cycleway that we've got in here just across from us in Key Street is called Project Wave. Yeah. And that was what we really want to see more of, a quick build, protected cycleway, and it connects the Nelson Street cycleway with the Key Street cycleway. Project Wave is a great new bit of infrastructure connecting the big Nelson Street cycleway with the incredible new Key Street, beautiful cycling infrastructure down by the ferry. And there's some fantastic things about this project, and one of the great things is it was... They put it in really quickly. You know, it went in that? over a week or so. We didn't have roadworks for months or a year. Or The not-so-great thing about it is it's a trial. Why is a bit of infrastructure that is like a critical part of the cycling network, why is it a trial? I think it just kind of points to an underlying... Um, philosophy in our local transport agency that cycling is you know it's 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 not a certainty that we're going to get any infrastructure at all they could whip them out um if if anyone doesn't like it um so you know there has been progress hasn't there for cyclists in Auckland uh, uh, definitely been a long time coming yeah I think it's it's way too slow like our target as part of our climate plan is 7% mode share by 2030 um, which is where Christchurch is at Christchurch is doing so much better than anywhere else and, they, and I, they're a high cycling city now they are and I guess you could you could argue that Christchurch is a, a natural city for cycling because it's much flatter also it's going it's been going through a rebuild so it's easier to incorporate cycle lanes yes that's right not just the flatness but it's a it's not as spread out as Auckland, but they've also just been much more successful at, at um, rolling out their cycling infrastructure program. 
Finally, she's bound to get some bike lash over this, but here's Kirsty Wilde's description of her bike across the bridge experience. The thing that really hits you is what an incredible commute that would be. Yeah. <laughs> it's just absolutely extraordinary. We have this incredible harbour, um, one of the most beautiful harbours in the world, actually. And, um, you know, it's, it's beautiful in a car, but it's absolutely extraordinary on a bike. I, I just have absolutely no doubt that people will bike that. In fact, I would bet that people would pay to bike that. That's all for today, thanks to Kirsty Wilde. Blaise Stagpole engineered this episode and Alexia Russell produced it. The detail is a newsroom production for RNZ made possible by NZ On Air. We're on all the usual podcast platforms. Hit subscribe and get a new episode downloaded every weekday. If you're an Apple user, please give us a rating. It helps others find us. You can also listen on the RNZ newsroom or stuff websites. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Kakite anō. 